you know, to be fair, this this um, jumbo route, I, I usually am pretty meticulous about studying routes, but I really jumped into this kind of blind, and so really had no idea what I was getting myself into. Quite honestly, it's been much harder than I thought, yeah. um, and I've loved it. We're a um, bikepacking bag manufacturer in Salida, Colorado, which is where I live. Um, I'm just one of the team members there. It's a great, great company to work for. Um, I get to get to make stuff that I love making and, you know, just kind of be involved in the industry a little bit. We were talking about intention earlier and oh, yeah. I made a very conscious decision that I was going to base my life around these things I wanted to do and everything else must fall in around. And yeah, they must. It must, because yeah. that's that's the only way I want it to be. And so, you know, of course, there's the give and take of real life, but um, I think when we focus on what we really want um, and rearrange things around that, that things fall into place, you know? That's Aaron Weinsheimer, and this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Hey, what's up, Bike Pack Canada podcast? This is Paul from Ottawa. I am outside the Ashton Pub. I am biking 300 kilometers, the circumference of the city of Ottawa. It's an interesting project that I've been thinking about for about a year and a half, and I'm finally doing it. Has anybody else done this in any other Canadian city? I think it's something that a lot of other people should and could try. Really great way to see the outskirts of, of the place where you live and see what sort of opportunities and options there are for cycling in your city. It's a bit of stealth camping along the way and uh, it's all it's all possible. So I'll leave it there for now. But thanks for making a great podcast and uh, yeah, happy riding everybody. friends and welcome back to the bike pack canada podcast i'm your host steve o'shaughnessy paul gallopo thanks so much for that voice intro i love hearing from you guys and i absolutely dig getting the voice intros so if you want to send me one you can whip out your phone record me a voice memo and email it to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com and i will get it on the show yesterday morning saturday morning um the ar700 left canmore and man, I wish I could have been there to see you guys off. But uh, what an awesome route. It looks so much. Looks like it's going to be so much fun. And it uh, looks like you're getting a bit of weather as well, uh, at least on Saturday. It looks like there was a bit of weather and some snow at higher elevations. Regardless, I want to send best wishes to everyone who's riding it. And I hope you have an awesome journey. And as always, keep the rubber side down. I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping today. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Bike Pack Canada Summit. 
Not sure if you've gotten a ticket yet. If you have, thank you very much. Uh, you're in for an awesome, awesome weekend. Uh, it's going to be a blast. We have some great guests. We've got um, Janie Hayes coming up from Salida, Colorado. We also have Ben Johnson. His uh, his Instagram tag is at Outside and Seek. Uh, he's presenting his film Admissions of an Amateur Bike Packer. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, there's going to be a pack rafting presentation with demo, so you can even try it yourself. Get out there and go for a little float. We've got uh, Cricket from the Whitefish Bike Retreat, who I can't wait to meet. Um, I haven't had a chance to get down there yet, but uh, it's definitely in the bucket list. Uh, we also have renowned photographer Jeff Bartlett, and he's going to teach us how to take better photos on our adventures. Uh, there's going to be tech sessions and the ever-popular show and tell style, What's in Your Bag? Be sure to sign up soon. Space is limited. You can head on over to bikepack.ca and uh, register there for the summit as well as the overnighter. And please come out to the overnighter, which is starts on the 26th. Uh, we'll be back in time for the social and then we'll have an awesome weekend of bikepacking. But uh, I always find the, uh, the overnighter is a great way to start, get to know the people that you're going to be hanging out with for the weekend and uh, just, just an awesome, awesome time. So ordinarily, I don't let you guys know who the guests are going to be coming up, but I think I'm going to change my mind on that because I had a super exciting conversation and I want to let you know who it is. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down and chatted with Nat Rainbow, the Lantern Rouge of the 2019 Tour Divide, by popular demand, actually. A handful of women reached out and, and expressed that they really wanted to hear Nat Rainbow's story. And I reached out to her right away and we were able to connect. She, uh, she's in the UK. Uh, obviously I'm here in Canada, but, uh, quality of the conversation is fantastic. What a world we live in where we can connect face to face and have these conversations. Um, it was amazing. It was very inspirational and, uh, to learn about the adversity she overcame to get to Antelope Wells, uh, is amazing. So, uh, I really know that you're going to enjoy that conversation as much, definitely as much as I did. So, um, I can't wait to share that with you. And another conversation I'm super psyched about, uh, a couple weeks ago, I reached out to a, a sports psychologist, uh, Matt Bain got back to me and we had an amazing conversation yesterday, uh, just to talk about the framework of the conversation we want to have. And we clicked right away and uh, I think it's going to be awesome. So make sure you head on over to iTunes and subscribe. So that way you'll get notifications on when these, uh, podcasts land and, uh, stay tuned. I've got some awesome convos coming up. Today, I bring you Aaron Weinsheimer. Aaron is from Salida, Colorado. He's a sewer at uh, Oveja Negra Bikepacking Bags, and uh, we connected through social networking via Katie Von Gaza. Uh, Aaron was out touring the Lost Elephant uh, Jumbo Loop while I was out racing it, and while he was in Kimberly, he and Katie connected as I believe he was looking for a place to stay for the night. Um, Katie then reached out to me to let me know, hey, this guy Aaron is is on the roots and uh, you guys should do a podcast. And I think she meant that tongue tongue in cheek, but uh, I reached out to him and we had a podcast and I'm really glad I connected with Aaron. Awesome down to earth guy, super experienced, um, had a great combo. We talked about gear. We talked about mindset. We talked about the route. Uh, the conversation went all over the place and uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. And now I bring you Aaron Weinsheimer. I want to record this because people be interested in it, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, uh, um, Katie was saying, oh, Aaron's touring the route now, and he stayed at my place, and, and I didn't, I just thought you, you guys were buddies. I didn't think that, you know, it was that 
kind of trail angel stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, did did you talk to her? Did she tell you the story at all of no. of what happened? Well, um, you know, it, it's actually in some ways one of the highlights of my trip. Um, I stayed in her home having no knowledge of her, having never met her. She came home like the next night with me in her house. Like she had just <laughs> opened her home out of pure kindness. I had pulled into Kimberly and had just gotten dinner and another couple bike packers roll in and they immediately come over and are questioning me. They're kind of wide-eyed. They just come over gray pass. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, we need food now. <laughs> they, were um, they epic riders? It wasn't that long ago. They were, it? no, they were touring the oh, route. Okay. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I, at that point, was like, all right, I got to find a place to sleep. I'm really tired and I need some recovery. And so I, he was asking me where the food was. I asked him, where are you guys staying? And he's like, well, we lucked out. We met this woman on Gray Pass. And she said we, she has a house in Kimberly and we can probably <laughs> stay at her house. And I'm just like, oh, that's great for you guys. You're so that's lucky, you know. And he said, well, she seemed really cool. Maybe I'll just text her and see if you can stay there too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know. And uh, so she, uh, or he texted her and she immediately replied, yeah. And then I texted her the next day and said, hey, my name's Aaron. I stayed at your house last night. I'd really like to stay another day. Is that okay? And she's like, absolutely. Yeah, I'll be <laughs> home at like 930. So I'll look forward to meeting you. So yeah, totally stayed in this person's house who I'd never met or anything. The community's pretty tight down here. You mm-hmm. know, like, um, I haven't been in, involved in bikepacking for very long. Mm-hmm. you know like a couple of years kind of full on mm-hmm. and um, got involved with Bikepack Canada a little bit and, and just met people through that but it's tight the group's tight like people are commenting on a podcast I put out or whatever it's all the same people yeah, it's just absolutely. like I'm doing this for a bunch of buddies right so yeah. it kind of makes it fun yeah yeah I would say the same is true where I'm from and you know you just there there certainly is a bikepacking community and uh, it is fun to, to touch touch base with that community and I think that's part of what I've liked about racing is just the you know meeting some of the different people that are part of the whole greater community it's pretty cool how long have you been racing uh I did my first my first big race was the Colorado Trail Race and that would have been in like 2010 Mm -hmm. that's a tough one hey that's a very tough one were you fully raced on that one I think I was. I did not finish that year either. Oh, I, I got I got my ass handed to me. And at the same time, it opened my mind to uh, something much bigger, much bigger than cycling even, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and so even though when I dropped out, I'm like, oh, I got him way over my head. I'm never going to do this again. And immediately I was like, starting to kind of think about what I would do differently. And so I came back the next year, nailed it. And then, you know, just kept on racing and then touring. And it just, yeah, it led into this great hobby. What what does it for you? What's like your, yeah, what's the big, the biggest draw for you? Well, there's a number of things. Like I really like being outside. I like connecting with nature. Um, and 
to do that also while you're traveling under your own power mm -hmm. and in there's something about to me anyway about being in the worn down state that this activity brings on that makes you a little bit more raw and a little bit more open to things at least it does for me i think it's true for a lot of people it's like psychedelics it's it's <laughs> ego dissolution is what it is because it is you're so vulnerable exactly especially like i again i said it a few times like inexperienced i'm pretty experienced like yeah, yeah. an inexperienced person wouldn't go and do do the the lost elephant right i'm super proud of that effort but there were a couple times out there where it was like i actually thought after the incidents like huh i didn't really lose my shit i didn't like get into panic mode it was more right. like okay problem solving mode you know middle of the night da -da 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 -da. do i want to sleep here do i want to do it was just all yeah yeah no panic at all and, yeah uh, i think I, I agree with you yeah it's that vulnerability i think that you put yourself in that that opens you up to uh just yeah yeah and you couple that with the intense natural experience that you're kind of forced into having while you're out there whether yeah. it's the wildlife you're seeing or the weather you're dealing with or whatever and oh it's just it's it's an amazing experience and it's also a lot of times a bit of an uncomfortable experience it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable and you know i guess maybe it's it's putting yourself in that uncomfortable more vulnerable more open receptive position um that you can really learn a lot about yourself and how you want to be you know so um yeah that, that's the deep answer I, oh, I love it i love getting deep um but also i love i love climbing you know i love yeah, just I climbing big mountains even if even if you're on your feet right yeah, yeah. i don't mind pushing like oh man i can't 30 percent i pushed yeah that bike yeah maybe i watched your video online today oh, which yeah. i loved oh, i loved nice. and you're talking about the push-ups yeah with the bicycle and i did so many of those and uh yeah <laughs> but yeah that just feels there's something that just feels good about it uh, yeah it's it's and when you get to the top of it like when you uh you you kind of learn to suffer through it and like you can see how far you have to go like the first one that you you hit when you come out of kimberly mm -hmm. that first quad track yeah that's just and I hit it, and it's like, oh my god! I know, and then I got I to the platform, and it's like, okay, well, just one foot in front of the other. Well, and then did you see the the stump that was like chair shaped that was right on top? Oh of yeah, the final I did. Pitch? Yeah. Um, I I sat in it for a moment. I'm like, well, all right, as long as there's one of these on top of every piece of bullshit, <laughs> yeah. I'm good to go. <laughs> uh, I need. To, I think the the root. The lost elephant route was, uh, yeah. There's something pretty special about that route, I think. Well, it, again, it, you know, I've the, the the one race I did, or the two races I I scratched in 2017 on the AR700, and I, I completed the BC Epic last year, and they're gravel grinders. I mean, you're you're on gravel roads basically, aside from maybe a fraction of a percent of single track here or there, not on the AR though, but. Um, <clears throat> that had everything in it that was like basically crossing the continent 
self-supported with a bike. Yeah. Because it was like everything. It was yep. single track, double track, quad track, you know, big, beautiful roads, awesome downhills, uh, long, epic climbs, pedable climbs, mm-hmm. and then long push climbs where you just, you know, you just, it had everything. And I really enjoyed it. So you raced that last year? The epic? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm talking about the Lost Elephant, how that route is very oh, special. Uh-huh. The, the, the. The BC Epic special to me because it's the first one I've ever finished, and it was just so you know you know what the feelings like, right? It's yes. Like, fuck yeah, yeah. I finished that, and that's what I felt like when I got to the top of Paradise yesterday. I'm surprised everybody didn't hear me because I was like, fuck yeah, I was so choked, I was so psyched rather because I had this sweet downhill, and that's my backyard. Like I just yeah, went up there yeah. a couple weeks ago. Well, it's pretty awesome because I mean we just met today, but yet yesterday like. I knew when you got to that point and like I was thinking of you and I'm like, he's coming down into his home turf right now. He's on top of one of the greatest points of the whole course in this incredibly beautiful location about to finish this whole loop. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> that's yeah, pretty, that must have been incredible to be there. Um, well, you were there. It, it, now I have to ask you that when I was there it was absolutely gorgeous but there were mists just ah, swirling and yeah. I could see outlines of some big <laughs> peaks but they didn't all reveal themselves so it's a big reveal yeah it's pretty nice up there yeah yeah I guess I, I need to go back yeah you think you could do that tomorrow before you go <laughs> just spin up there I think it's only what's the hike up, up from Pano is it like 15k is it a 15k uh, hike up there uh, it's, I, don't know. I think it's 25, uh-huh. like 25 K up. Like it's, that's tough. Going up that way is tough because it all, it's, it's quite pitchy and it's, it's all climbable, mm-hmm. but it just, it's so sustained. It's just sustained. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Not like the stuff on the lost elephant. It was where it was just like, Ooh, just rippling across the province. Kind mm-hmm. of like, yeah. It was awesome. So racing back to racing. Uh-huh. Um, so you started racing in 2010? Yeah. Yeah, and then so what's kind of the, so you did Well, let's see, I, yeah, I did not did a DNF on the Colorado Trail 2010, yeah. finished it in 11, did the Tour Divide in 2012, and finished that in 23 days. Awesome. Um, did you have goal, did you set goals? Um, not really, only just to finish, you know. Yeah, that's the primary, that, right? Really, and I mean, I try and respect that it's a race and really push myself and go as fast as I can but it's been a learning process too like for instance Tour Divide I think I mentioned earlier like towards the last week of my race I was hanging on by a thread you know like really all I wanted at that point was to be able to feel halfway decent during the big full day of riding because I got to where like maybe I push super hard for one day, but then I'd pay for it for two days, you know, of just being yeah. like bonky yeah. for two days. And I pretty quickly made the correlation. Oh, yeah, go ahead and ride till 2 a.m. And then you're going to feel it for the next two days riding, stuff like that. So anyway, I'm like, all right, just keep it together. Try and not feel horrible and finish this thing. <laughs> um but yeah, so did the Tour Divide, loved it. Um, the next year did Colorado Trail Race again. 
then I started doing some real big solo tours at that point, um, big loops um, using the Arizona Trail. Oh, yeah, um, kind of put a bunch of stuff together. Yeah, like, you know, basically month to five week type, you know, big desert adventures. Um, and then just a couple few years ago, I did the first um, Trans-American Trail Race, which oh, was yeah. the coast-to-coast off-road yeah bike packing race awesome. i was one of the ones in that first year can we close that window yeah right absolutely sorry to interrupt you no that's okay <coughs> yeah it's crazy did so that first year what are the stats in that um it was like 5300 miles um coast to coast it took me 43 days i believe um, amazing man that's amazing it was nuts yeah um, it, it's basically a dual sport motorbike route yeah and kind of like the tour divide isn't that kind of like that as well yeah like the, the, the actual uh, I f- that could be yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> but it was it was really interesting and it took me through a lot of parts of the US that I had never been to yeah um, you know for instance I had never envisioned myself riding border to border in Oklahoma, you know, right. but there I was, you know, um, and, you know, a state you've probably never been in. Um, maybe. Yeah. I had been in, yeah. but yeah, I certainly didn't think I'd ride there. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a journey. But I, I did that and, uh, you know, again, a mid pack finish. I can't remember how many, you know, there were maybe, maybe eight or eight or nine of us that finished it and maybe 12 that started or something. That's pretty good at uh, rate of attrition though. That's not very high. Yeah, actually I, I agree. Um, and the, the winner, um, a guy named Dylan from Montana, he, I mean, he, he was many, many, many days ahead of me. We, you know, I think the last racer I saw was on day three um, maybe the morning of day three, I remember seeing one of the guys, and then for the next <coughs> forty days, it was just me <laughs> riding as fast as I could on these dirt roads across the country. What kind um, of pace would you set for something that distance? Well, I, I'm learning a lot about pace. So, you mean in terms of miles per day? Like, for instance, there's no way I could have sustained what I did on the Lost Dolphin for right. for for a week even right like I, I, I have a tendency to kind of give her when I maybe yeah. just chill a little bit like do you, do you just really dial it back and just think about the long game like I do personally yeah especially since I'm not in it to win it right. I'm, I'm just trying to finish and yeah I mean I've learned to try and like avoid that lactic burn yeah at all costs you know yeah. like every time like I get on and start pedaling I ramp it up slow and then get to my speed yeah. and hopefully just spin it out and really try and conserve energy. Um, and I've learned more over the years about sleep-wise mm. what works for me personally. Um, and some of the, my Colorado Trail experience helped teach me that. My first finish um, that I'm super proud of, I really pushed the sleep deprivation for me anyway and was doing a maximum of like four hours a night and some nights less 
And when I got to the finish and I saw myself in the mirror <laughs> that first time, I was shocked. You Did know, you look I looked horrible. Yeah. And my legs were totally swollen. My knees were all swollen. Um, and then the next time that I finished the race, it was a little hard to compare because things changed a little bit as far as the course. But I'm pretty, I, anyway, I slept for a minimum six hours a night and I rode faster. Yeah. And I had more fun. Yeah, I think that's that's even more important. Yeah. Because if you're not having a good time. Yeah. And, yeah. If, you know, at a certain point, if you're just going along at a snail's pace, it might be better just to lay down and get however much sleep it is yeah. you need and get up and actually start riding again good, you know. I usually only take, like, uh, I, I try to get four hours of sleep uh-huh. before I tackle Brewer. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I sleep like crap and I think it's exposure it comes with an experience and comfort you uh-huh. know, just not being super super comfortable just chilling out especially with yeah. no tent like just laying in the dirt yeah the yeah and it, you know I just I can't get super comfortable doing that but you know I'll set my alarm for four hours but I'll, I'll wake up in three right. and usually if I wake up I just wake up there's no point in lingering like you're gonna no. get that sleep inertia and then you're gonna feel like crap so you might as well if your body's like all right, let's do this. Let's yeah. Say, okay, let's get up. Yeah, I agree. You got to follow the rhythms and listen. But yeah. To, yeah, exactly. it, yeah, it's it's something that everyone has to kind of figure out for themselves because yeah, I think we're all very, very different in that yeah. respect. And and then, you know, as I've done these tours, um, what I've enjoyed finding is that I can, if I do sleep more, you know, on my hardest rides, like I said, I get eight hours every oh, night. Awesome then I can really just keep on going and going for a super long time. The the ride that I've done that I'm most proud of, of all of them, though, was a tour. And I rode the Continental Divide Hiking Trail, which is a U.S. hiking trail. I don't know if you're familiar with it or I not. I don't know the, the difference. It, well, basically, we have the Great Divide mountain bike route, which is what we race the Tour Divide on. It's the route that Adventure Cycling put together. Oh, you mean like a through-hiking route? Yeah, but the, the Connell oh, Divide okay. Trail is a through-hiking route. that It does go through a lot of the same towns that the Great Divide mountain bike route does, but it's, it's the hiking trail. Right. Oh, my gosh. So That's I that. rode that whole thing, <laughs> and that route... Would, I believe there's only been three people ever to ride it, and I was the third. The two that pioneered it were Scott Morris and Esther Haranyi. Okay. Um, and they, Scott kind of GPS mapped the whole thing, and I just followed with great interest and said, like, I'm going to do it, you know. And that, you know, basically it's covering pretty much the same route as the Tour Divide, braiding those two. Well, the Tour Divide took 23 days for me. The Connell Divide Trail took me three months. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a hiking trail. It's a hiking trail, yeah. So definitely hiking with a wheelbarrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm well-trained at pushing it around. But that was one where it was by far the hardest ride I've ever done. I doubt I'll ever do a ride that hard again. But that ride, I slept definitely eight hours every night you need that and i felt like after three well after three months then my girlfriend met me 
up here at the border, we toured the BC Epic, the whole thing. Oh, nice. We rode up to Banff, we rode to Jasper. Nice. And so, I mean, to me it was just like, wow, look what my body can do if I treat it with just a little more respect and like give it the proper rest and, you know, try and give some nutrition <laughs> if possible. Yeah. I, I can't, I'm not as good as I could be, that's for sure. And now, you know, well, you just eat whatever the heck you can get your hands did on I, at a certain point. Did I tell you my apple story already? No. Oh, I didn't? No. Sorry about the train, guys. Oops. It's just a train, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're here in a hostel in Invermere. Um, so, oh, don't worry about it. That's okay. It's gonna... Um, so after I had met, kind of, I, I put a little video about that too, but uh, I met this, this these groups of hikers. And... Uh, this big group of 12, I told you about that. So they're coming down and, you know, I am I try to be pretty positive when I'm out there. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, everybody, how's it going? And yeah. like, this is limited use. You can't be here with your bike. And then he kind of snubbed me and walked by me. And uh, huh. and I said, sir, have you ever heard of the term uh, recreational supremacy? And he said, no, no. And he kind of stumbled a bit, but then kind of quietened it up. He, he, he started to listen. I say, you know what? We're all out here trying to have a good time, man. Like, you know, and you know, he, he has no idea that I just pushed my bike 450 kilometers around the Rocky Mountain. Right? <laughs> and it, so I'm, you know, I'm broken down. I'm not angry. I'm just, right. saying, you know what? We're all out here having a good time. I'm not making a mark. Like, I'm not, I'm not riding my bike. I'm pushing my bike up a mountain. And then a bunch of people just, they just like, yeah, it's all he's doing is pushing like if I just like you know had a big 60 liter backpack what's the difference yeah right? yeah and um, he was pretty quiet after that but you know I just wanted to assure him that it's like everybody that I know who's a bikepacker would have ultimate respect for this trail oh and yeah and if there's any reason why they shouldn't go in a certain place they wouldn't do it right like I tiptoe over stuff up there like if, if there's a way I can get through the the, the you know the most or the least impactful way that's the way I take it absolutely but, so the apple story so yeah it's just kind of a negative hit right I'm like I was kind of all pissed off uh -huh. and then it's just so I put my music back on I, had, I think when they approached I had death metal on or something because I needed that to get up that but I met this these three ladies and uh, we're chatting for a bit and I had met them they were driving up to the trailhead mm -hmm. so they had in the time it took me to to get to them they had driven up to the trailhead, hiked to where they were going to go, and they were basically three quarters of the way down. Uh -huh. like, that was way longer in there than I thought. I was just like chunk, like pedaling away and so sustained. And the client, I've been in there before, but I totally gapped it. So um, so I'm probably looking pretty haggard as well, right? Yeah. Two hours sleep and, or three hours sleep that night. And it was just uh, like, do you want an apple? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I watched the video actually it's on Facebook it's like I get emotional I can remember the tears welling up I was like yeah I want an apple <laughs> I love an apple right now and she she reached in and she took, gave me this this beautiful apple and uh, I told her I loved her I said thank you so much it means so much and she goes oh yeah I always like to have a piece of fruit you know <laughs> after my hike just so I can just munch on the way home it's nice to have something so she gave me her special piece of fruit Right? Good so people. It, right? It was just, it went from this kind of pissy negative attitude. About yeah. Just, we're all outdoors people. I'm yeah. just using this piece of machinery, you know? And uh, and then having that that trail angel. Yes. Like, it was just a beautiful thing. <laughs> it was so lovely. And that's, I think that's the thing that really 
resonates with me is you know meeting you and we're talking and we're so relating and then you know just I don't know man there's something about just that community being so tight and everyone's just there for each other like it didn't wouldn't matter what town you're in especially in social networking days people probably follow you everywhere from everywhere you could be hey I broke down someone would come and help you yeah um, yeah yeah just yeah like, that was a huge tangent Oh uh, well, that's okay. about food, nutrition, yeah, and I was right, like, yeah. all I had was like meat sticks and nuts yeah. and noon tabs and caffeinated <laughs> noon tabs, and that's all I really had. I had uh, yeah. way too much food with me. I, I always do. Yeah, but you know, it's yeah, if you yeah. and you know, to be fair, this this um, jumbo route, I, I usually am pretty meticulous about studying routes, but I really jumped into this kind of blind, and so. Really had no idea what I was getting myself into. Quite honestly, it's been much harder than I thought. Yeah. Um, and I've loved it. I've loved it. But uh, it's interesting sitting here though, because you know the whole loop now. I, I still have a, a bunch of miles of it that uh, still have to go and see. Great miles. <laughs> lots of climbs. Lots of lots climbs. Lots more pushing. Yeah. Yeah. Good views. <laughs> Oh, I love Lots it. Lots of good water. The mountains here are, are absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's easy to, um, I think when you live in a town, I've only been here about a decade, um, but we live in a town, even for that short period of time, like just got to lift your head up and look around sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you get in that daily grind and get up and go there, get up, go back, get up, mm-hmm. go for a ride, come back. But it's like, I, I tend, sometimes I find I'm not looking, I'm not actually looking around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like being being up there again you know a, a brewer which I've been a brewer for a while but just that's it's just stunning it is it's stunning yeah and you just think that you're just looking at like a tiny fraction of the globe that's right beautiful like the whole right like, there's probably so much cool well there is yeah there's so much cool shit to see out there right? yeah and yeah. to get there on a bike my god yeah it's just awesome. absolutely incredible yeah it's it's a good way to travel, that's for sure. <laughs> Did you ever do any like highway touring? One time, I wanted to try the um, bike packing style packing on a road bike, and so it was actually in the middle of winter. I went down to the southern U.S. and did an adventure cycling route called the Southern Tier, and it's a coast to coast paved route brought my carbon road bike and packed it as light as I could. And what I actually intended to do is I wanted to yo-yo it, um, the whole coast to coast thing. I drove down from Salida to the center of the route and got on my bike and I rode to San Diego in California, turned around, rode to the coast in Florida. (laughs) And then I turned around again and started riding back to my car. Um, But during that final leg, I finally succumbed to all the horrible food choices that oh, I was yeah. making. And I just, I got really sick, um, you know, just like a bad cold, basically. Yeah. But it was enough that I was kind of done. You know, I had been out for over 40 days at that point, riding through January and February, you know, and right along the U.S. border, all the... U.S.-Mexico border of California and New Mexico and Arizona. It was it was a very interesting ride. Again, rode through some places that 
well, I've just never been before. Yeah, you know? stuff um, you probably never see in a car. No, like, it was it was there. crazy. Like Texas, for instance. Like yeah. I went from that one tip all the way to the other tip. I think it was seven, eight hundred miles. Sorry, I'm not good with the kilometers. No, it's okay. But like it's okay. huge. So I was in Texas alone for you know just days and days and days. Um, you see any craziness out there in the no, middle of Texas? No, you know, I think the craziest thing was just being along the border. And so I certainly got to observe <laughs> the workings of the Border uh, Patrol down there, which is right. certainly crazy yeah. um, and crazy to watch, you know, um, and yeah. Like people trying to, trying to cross? No, like more just the massive amount of... of you know, government presence mm, down there, right. all the border patrol, like for instance, like down along these remote highways that go along the border, it's, there's a big dirt shoulder on either side of the pavement, mm -hmm. like a wide dirt shoulder. And what the border patrol does multiple times a day for literally thousands of miles of these type of roads is they get in their pickups and they drag tires up and down multiple times a day and then they just drive these roads at like five miles an hour looking for footprints because they know the last time oh. they dragged and they're like okay <coughs> we've got footprints we only dragged two hours ago let's so go can, search this area oh and gosh. so th that's what we're spending our money on down there you know is you know we got we got tons of manpower on the ground doing bullshit like that right now um, so just getting to watch all that and, uh, and, um, and then, yeah, just going through all the, the southern states, Alabama and the Gulf Coast and stuff. It's just, you know, it's a big, crazy world out there. Yeah, it's funny. Like, you can't, you know, you hear about um, all these different ideologies, but unless, or, or you know, mm -hmm. like political stuff like that. And then, mm -hmm. then you are, but you just read about it you don't really yeah. see it you don't feel the energy when yeah. you're down there and and uh that's why yeah travel's so important right yeah <clears throat> i think see, so just see other I things think so right? well so to answer your question though about the road if i had done any right. road thing so i did that yeah. and i really enjoyed it it was super fun and like I could cover a bunch of miles oh, each yeah. day on that super light bike and being on the pavement and everything. Yeah. But in the end, as much as I loved it, and I mean, I love road biking, but it's just too dangerous. Yeah. It is way too dangerous mixing it up with the cars. You have any close calls? Oh, yeah. I mean, not a lot. Enough. You know, <clears throat> enough. It just, it just seems like you're really taking a big risk by the more you're out there with the traffic, the more risky it is, the more chances something could happen. And yeah, like, honestly, you know, I tell people, I go on these big loops and stuff, and I'm just like, are you worried about bears? It's like, I'm not as worried about bears as much as I'm worried about the drunks on, mm -hmm. on the road who are mm -hmm. drinking beer and not paying attention on their cell phones. Yeah. It's like a bear doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, the, the idea of, even when I have to ride road sections, uh -huh. between sections, it's like, yeah. It, and then I guess, too, like, I've recognized and acknowledged more over time, like, how important I think it is to connect with nature. Mm. And so, 
I love deep down I just love riding bikes I love riding any kind of bikes yeah. but then I'm like okay maybe don't mess with the road stuff quite so much just you know the mountain stuff gets more <laughs> and it connects you right it it's, connects it's like, you yeah. gets you out of that yeah. city like uh, when I rolled into Cranbrook it was like oh here we are bam <laughs> yeah city time and yeah. it's just you know it's tight on the road and right you know trying to get some food and uh, yeah but as soon as I left and I got started spinning up the the trail there to Kimberly it was just like oh, which is wonderful by the way yeah this is a perfect perfect grade huh oh it's just that's awesome to have a a separate paved path for bicycles and you know I saw people commuting and um, people just riding recreationally good stuff you see a lot of that in uh well, at least in, around here, in a lot in BC, it'll be little tiny towns, mm -hmm. and they just run these little paved trails between between other little tiny towns. Yeah. And then there's the West Side Legacy Trail here in Invermere, so it's like if you go up to West Side Road, mm -hmm. there's a trail that's going to connect uh, Invermere to Fairmont. Uh -huh. So that's kind of going on now, but but yeah, so... I really like stuff like that a lot. Yeah. Well, it just get, if it gets cars off the road... Yeah. Like, we're not doing anything to... Yeah. And we... Yeah. They, they're not doing anything. Yeah, they're <laughs> Yeah, just no, no, yeah, just, it's just towns are built around cars, right? Mm hmm. And yeah. yeah. And before you know it, they're all going to be driving themselves, right? So, <laughs> wait. Won't be long. They already are. Right. Uh, so, um, what do you do for a living? Uh, um, <laughs> so, I'm a, a sewer. I operate sewing machines and work for Oveja Negra. We're a, um, bike packing bag manufacturer in Salida, Colorado, which is where I live. Um, I'm just one of the team members there. It's a great, great company to work for. Um, I get to get to make stuff that I love making and, you know, just kind of be involved in the industry a little bit. Um, it's, it's, Honestly, one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. Oh, I just really nice. enjoy it. I personally, I really enjoy um, making things. So I've enjoyed working as a carpenter over the years mm. and and different things like that. Um, and so this the sewing I really like just taking raw material and creating a really cool product out of it. I find it satisfying, so sure. so it's pretty cool to be involved in. How long have you been doing that? I've been working for them for, um, I guess about two and a half years now. Okay. Pretty yeah. fresh? Yeah, pretty fresh, uh-huh. Yeah. It seems to be a hard, um, it seems to be like a hard market to, uh, to, to be lucrative. It sounds like it's I like there's a lot of resistance. Agree. Like yeah, like I told you that story earlier about you know ask, asking someone to, to build me a top tube bag, and it's like ah, just the one off thing, and right. it's just not worth it. And end up you know you'd end up have to you'd have to pay two hundred bucks for it. Right. And I totally get it. Mm -hmm. Like I get it. Right. But um, why? What's what's keeping it? Um, well, you know, I guess from my perspective. Um, the the whole industry of sewing is an industry that's left the U.S. almost oh. completely, and so 
I assume the same is true for the most part of Canada. I'm completely making an assumption here, but yeah, the industry just isn't around. So even something as simple as obtaining the proper machinery to make these products is a lot harder than you would think. Really? Yeah, just getting the right machines in North stuff. America. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, um, and the machinery in general is is a lot more expensive than most people might imagine too. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, um, they're, they're pretty fancy high-end pieces of industrial equipment um, and so they're not the type of thing you can just go to your local tool shop and pick up, you know. And then furthermore, all the people who know how to repair them are also gone. Um, <laughs> right. So you need to also be your own mechanic to be involved in this type of stuff. Are they pretty basic machines? I mean, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm somewhat intimidated by them. Yeah. I'm not a great mechanic, but they're they're quite complicated and they're they're high precision. Mm, you know, um, and they need to they need to be exactly right. And you know, the the amount of stuff moving around at a high rate of speed is kind of mind boggling. <laughs> Um, Especially when your fingers are in there. Right. Like they're right in there. They're all in there. Do you have those crush signs everywhere? You know, the, the warning signs? Like the gears crushing the hand? <laughs> Do you have those all over the shop? Yeah. I'll try to get you one. I think I have one at work. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there's just there's all these barriers, I think. And then also all a lot of the people that really know how to sew, um, there's just not, they're not around anymore. That's interesting. Um, it's a very niche type of thing. Um, and such a craft, really. It is, it is a, like. a craft, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, a factory that's completely tooled up and has the whole labor force at their disposal, they can crank out a, a very high quality product um, at a much lower cost than, than for instance, we could. Um, it's just kind of the, the scale of production, right. I think. Are they computer operated? Are these things like CNC type, like just feed no, a fabric and it'll... Like, no, nothing like that. Nothing like um, those type of things do exist do somewhat. Um, I've definitely seen some really interesting, you know, now I'm kind of into sewing machines. I kind of look at oh, them yeah. like I might look at a bike component or something. I'm like, check this oh, shit that's out. Damp. You know, totally, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I've seen some really, really cool automated machines. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, labor's high. Then, yeah, yeah, so labor is really high. And it's, it, I think it's a much more labor-intensive process than most of us realize, and I, I find it a little bit interesting, and I'm certainly guilty of this, but I feel like the industry has so much left our countries that we've completely lost touch almost with mm -hmm. what it means to even make a garment. I mean, you think about the t-shirt you're, you're wearing yeah. right now, like... I, I couldn't make a t-shirt. No, and like, if you could, how much might you charge for something like that? <laughs> it uh, was a couple bucks. <laughs> you want it to be hundreds, you know, but like you look at it, it's like it's some, you know, it required quite a bit of machinery and and stuff to, to make that all happen. And we, we've just lost touch with what it takes to sew 
a piece of equipment or a garment yeah. or whatever. I'm feeling inspired to try to make a bag, actually. Well, it's, it's actually that. really, um, it's something that I think most people with a little bit of practice could handle. And there's great instruction out there. Yeah. And really what it comes down to is you're taking materials and you're attaching them together. Um, so, yeah. you know, you can mock some stuff up and it, it's it's pretty fun i'm happy with my stuff except it's not it's not waterproof because it's uh, you know the pouches and i've got i've got a double-ended dry bag that that scott made me uh-huh um for the mca harness mm-hmm. but now my kit's really i just i do the burrito with the tarp yes <laughs> so i don't i don't use that dry bag very often and it doesn't fit very well in there mm-hmm. when you get it loaded up with the jones bar and stuff it's mm-hmm. like everything's just kind of in, in the way, uh, but yeah, my, yeah. My, my rear end, my uh, saddle, saddle bags, waterproof, obviously, but yeah, my wallet, my wallet, I pulled my wallet out, just in Cranbrook, that's after day one, it was just like, oh, and I thought I had stashed it kind of nice, because nice. I had everything else, and I'm the Ziploc king, right, I'm a freezer bag king, everything's yeah. in a freezer bag, food's double freezer bagged, right, yes. keep the scent as down as possible, but um, why didn't I put my wallet in a freezer bag? <laughs> an idiot so yeah like how much is that I've got my temporary license in there uh, I just, it's just like a mash of like just wet paper <laughs> yeah 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 I I really um, I've struggled with keeping stuff dry this trip it's been a oh yeah you got rained on a lot didn't you I certainly did I felt like it you know I I just look around and look at all this vegetation and and I'm like, well, I guess it, it got to grow somehow, so this must be par for the course. But And we were talking the other day, too, this is very atypical for mm. out here. We don't get rain like this. Like, it's been, I mean, the last handful of years, we were just um, engulfed with fire here, right? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it didn't see the sky all summer, basically. No blue sky. Mm. And then, um, but ordinarily, it's the bluebird. If there weren't fires, it'd be... It'd be Typically, just bluebird all the time. For it to be like this every day, it's kind of like cloudy and stuff. I love mm-hmm. it because I moved from the coast. So I got to admit, it's pretty nice because these these mountains are so huge, and you get on the climbs in the heat, and yeah, it just feels kind of like a suffer fest if the sun is beating down. Yeah, there would be. Can you imagine doing that first climb, that hike a bike out of Kimberly? Oh, in the heat. Yeah, because the sun would be right on your back. Oh, it would yeah. just be like searing you on the mountainside yeah yeah and i don't run well in the heat at all i'm like crampy grandpa i get so crampy so crampy but yeah no i i think i definitely hit a weather window i'm not i'm not a religious guy or anything but uh-huh. but i had a bit of an experience on the bc epic it was kind of related to ryan Corey, uh-huh. who passed away yeah uh, when i got to the top of great great creek pass um, I kind of I would talk to him from sometimes yeah from time to time because I met him I didn't really know him that well but he it impacted his death impacted a lot of people yeah definitely. and uh, and I got to the top and I'm like you know it's a push like 17k I think you know pretty pitchy and uh, I said oh Ryan we're almost there buddy and this this breeze came up and it it, it came from my tail like it, it basically like it uh-huh. yeah, it sounds woo woo but man so. I left on this trip and it started to get dark and the moon came up uh-huh. and I said, I said, 
Oh, you're part of the clouds for me, Ryan, man. Thanks. Because no one wants to ride in the rain all through the night. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then I just, well, I was in this weather window the entire time. Wow. Like, I didn't, I could sl- I slept with no shelter. Wow. No rain. Um, it, it was a bit kind of like drizzly when I was coming up through the Fairmont Range. Uh-huh. Or like, on the way into Fort Steele, I should say. But, uh, yeah, I had the perfect window. And the temperatures were ideal for this guy. Because uh-huh. I just, I run hot. and Yeah. 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 Now, before I forget, I want to ask, um, did you meet my friends Jimmy and Janie who raced the BC Epic last year? Janie Hayes? Janie Hayes. Uh, I'm trying to get her on the podcast, actually. Oh, yeah, she's a close friend. Oh, is she? Yeah, yeah. Um, She's from Salida, too. Right. And and her husband, Jimmy, is a buddy of mine. And yeah, yeah. I read her. uh, She put a little post up. about the, her tour divide experience, she's a fantastic writer. She's a very good writer, and and just the the idea around what she wrote really uh, sung to me because uh, it's just a very mental thing, right? I think right. People, like if you can, the, the the race I scratched on, I had horrible mental attitude going into it, and I just lost my job, blah blah blah. And then the BC Epic, my wife was saying, "You're so different." this time like you're so different it's like because i'm going to merit and i'm going to ride my bike home mm-hmm. that's what i said i'm just i'm just riding my bike home no problem like i've been i have tons of mountain biking experience yeah and then this here i just i just want to finish it i just want to get to the end of it right and uh it has nothing to do with necessarily how fast or whatever but it's, it's a mental thing. If you can just put yourself in a nice mental place. There wasn't yeah. one time out there where I was like, fuck this shit. Like, right. I was never like that. I right. was like, you know, just listening to, just trying to remember words of advice people yeah. have given me. Keep moving forward. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're the scariest thing in the woods at night. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's it's just a well. I mean, song. it sounds kind of silly, but at a certain point, we we come to understand that we're doing exactly what we want to be doing, and it's hard, just like we envisioned it was going <laughs> to be, and we're pretty worn suck. down, and, <laughs> awesome. and yeah, it's and it's awesome. It's just awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I want to I want to talk to talk to Jeannie. Yeah, sure. yeah. Trying to get her on and talk about that stuff. Yeah, That's, she's great. Yeah. Um, she is an incredible cyclist, that's for certain. I don't know if I rode with her at all. I, I, I think we crossed paths a little bit, mm-hmm. but again, being being just a new, but, you know, I was like, hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never see you again. You look super fit. Bye. <laughs> it's a little, like, stumpy little Irish guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's not going <laughs> to... People listening, I'm checking out Aaron's rig here, and uh, his saddle comes up to my ribs, like <laughs> like almost my armpit. It's so high. Yeah, um, we're a little different. Different structure. Different height. Different yeah. structure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so do you um, do you guys are you developing new bags all the time, or are you kind of working off same patterns, or we yes to both of those things. There's new bags that are in development. And then we, you know, we basically hone the bags that we have and kind of make small changes along the way. But really, we try and get to a point where we're really happy with the bag and go with it for a while. And um, 
you know, it, it, it honestly takes a while for all of us to get up to speed on making a new product and stuff. And, uh, um, so there's a lot that goes into the release of, of each thing that, that comes along. Um, so yeah, yeah. It must be a challenge to, um, to keep reinventing the wheel. You know what I mean? Like a frame mm-hmm. bag is a fairly basic piece of equipment. It really is. It's like, you know, how many tweaks can you actually make to it? You can make it waterproof. You know, like you can have waterproof zippers, um, or the roll top, mm-hmm. how many compartments you have. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. But it's really it's a just a triangle to work with. And <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 It, so that's what I mean. It must be tough to, you know, keep people coming. Like, hey, we're going to make this awesome bag and you'll never have to buy another one. Thanks for being a customer. You know what I mean? Right, it's, right. Yeah, so it's I feel that way about my my porcelain rocket frame bag. Mm-hmm. People thought like those zippers are bomber. Like I've been ripping on that thing and fat biking in the winter and mm-hmm. and doing these races and stuff with that bag. And it's it's you know, it's not waterproof, which is a bummer, but it's been very like uh, yeah yeah. It's just been an awesome piece of gear. Yeah, that's what gear should be. I should be able to use that in the field and not even think that's gonna blow a zipper. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. And, you know, the zipper thing, man, that's a tough one. It is a, um, you know, they do fail sometimes. And I think really my best tip tip for people regarding zippers is just be aware of what you're doing with it. If you're constantly overstuffing the bag, Uh, which we all want to do all the time, it is hard on the zipper. The biggest thing you can do, though, is lube the zipper. There's special lubes out there. That you can buy that'll just keep it running way smoother and I need to prolong the life. I went had a little, little drip of sap gun on there. Uh, yeah, right. And it's like yeah, good. You have to like push it through the sap drip. It's oh like, yeah. yeah, I gotta clean that. <laughs> such a, yeah, yeah. Um, so but, what is that? Um, do you have any bags on your bike that you've built just for yourself? Um, like yeah, in some sense. These are all very similar to the bags that we produce as stock bags, but they're all totally custom because, of course, I got to do totally custom for my own <laughs> stuff, you know. Um, so what we do at Oveja Negra is we we try and um, we do non-custom. So we try and, for instance, in a frame bag, we make it in four different sizes that we hope are going to fit. 85 90% of the standard bike geometries that are out there. There's going to be certain frames though that like our bag's not going to work on, right. you know. And that's a there's tons of great custom builders that can do that for right. folks, you know. That seems more cost efficient mm-hmm. than than trying to accommodate everything mm-hmm. cuz you just couldn't. Yeah. You know, and like what's there can't be a heat well, I I'm speaking with no experience, but can be a huge difference between between like this sixteen inch frame and this sixteen inch frame across vendors. Other than maybe if they're doing that, you know, um, fluid formed tubing and all that stuff. Yeah, that can weird. definitely throw a wrench in the works. But also even minor things like um, different length front ends. They're designing the frame completely around that, and the triangle can really be. A, pretty vastly different size. Mm. That being said, you know, you're right. Really, 
I think we can lump 75-85% of frames in the category of these are all pretty similar. We can make a bag that's going to fit these super good, you know. Um, but, yeah, for my own stuff, though, because uh, I just enjoy um, crafting my own bags, I, I have to do all custom, so... I keep checking out that pouch, actually. I like that pouch. Yeah. That's, like, big. Like, it's... Mine's kind of like tubular, and uh -huh. it's like, you know, that, this big square one would be nice. Yeah. You have multiple compartments. This is just one compartment. Put a like zipper right here. You oh, yeah. Some stuff underneath. Yep. And some stuff on top. Uh-huh. Patent, I patent that. <laughs> <laughs> you will and send it to me, I'll demo it. I will it. get to work on that as soon as I'm finished with this ride. <laughs> but yeah, then yeah just the, cool. the frame bag on my bike is exactly the safe shape of my frame you know of course right. i made a pattern to the frame and then also um i put some frame sheets in here and it's bolted to the water bottle bosses um instead oh yeah cool instead of having oh, straps so i've got oh, straps on the top here but i go into three holes here yeah, um, so i've got a sheet of plastic that kind of yeah. sits in there and that of course you could never do as a non-custom type of bag yeah, because it would, line it up. Uh, even lining it up for one bike is is a little tricky <laughs> yeah so um so i just did fun stuff like that and then of course you know picked out my colors and yeah i enjoyed it a lot yeah i, I like that when i kind of went to scott for my stuff it's like yeah it gave me a little, even gave me a little bit of a deal on it because it's you know it's a chromag bike so the triangles are really small uh -huh. all progressive uh-huh but uh and then yeah just doing the matchy that i went with the camo type theme mm -hmm. which i thought was <laughs> always always an excellent choice i say <laughs> there's a lot of camo out there but we'll get it with the orange and the, you know i, I do I'm, I'm coming to you, you kind of create this relationship with your bike right like absolutely. there's a familiarity with it a absolutely people might be laughing about that but it's just like yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tool right it becomes this tool it is and uh once you get it set up like I, I said, I made some modifications like the night before or like day before I left. I put like a mm -hmm. extender and raised my stack up because I wanted yeah. to get on the, on the arrow bars a bit nicer. Man, what a difference that made. <clears throat> and I went in completely blind. I went in with an analytical view of it. It's like, it's going to be better because I'm going to be sitting like I'm sitting in a chair. Yes. Like, so like when I'm, when I'm sitting just on the ends of my Jones bars, just riding my bike, it's like towny yeah right and it's lovely because mm -hmm. you know obviously if there's a headwind it kind of sucks right but then you've got those other hand positions you can kind of get lower but i didn't like it it was too low like i was i was just like cranking my neck kind of low yeah so i wanted to bring the whole cockpit up and uh huge difference a little twitchy in the technical uh downhill sure side, like sure really twitchy because i think that you know that's a huge major, <laughs> right it's super long i've kind of felt like it's kind of like an old guy thing, too, right? I, think it is, I thought the exact thing. When I did the Tour Divide, I had arrow bars on, and that's the only time I've ever had arrow bars. And what I found that I was doing is I was spending all my time riding by holding on to the the elbow pads oh, I did a bit of that. because I'm sitting completely <laughs> upright, it's just nice. like an old man. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was the most comfortable thing. You need so. to have like the like. 
perch ends where you can like put little ends and hang off your perch. The perch is sitting kind of like yeah. It's not very stable though. It's a bit no, no, it's not. That's it's funny not. though. But yeah, I totally was like, I went up to the, the local shop, Rob's shop. And I'm like, hey, you have to, uh, this is gonna sound weird coming from me, but do you have a step extender, <laughs> steer tooth extender, rather? He's like. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll see you tuck around in a drawer, right? No one's buying them. He goes, oh, cool, yeah, I've got one right here. Yeah. yeah. So I'll give you 10 bucks to take this from me. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you 10 <laughs> Yeah, I'll probably charge you double. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So, yeah, you, so you create the... And then, then the other change I made this year, which was mind-blowing, so the Epic, I wore, I wore my ass out. Like, literally wore the skin off my ass. Oh. Chamois. You know, I, I was running Chromex saddles, which are fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about a, about a Chromex saddle. But the, uh, <clears throat> it was the chamois thing. And it's like, you know, they're thick, they're dirty. Uh, you know, I don't want to bring another pair of shorts. I really want to ditch the chamois. And, and you know, it turned out my chamois didn't fit. So I was like, damn it, I'm going to get a leather saddle. Uh-huh. I'm going to give these a try. And I got a cell anatomica. Uh-huh. I put maybe three or four hundred kilometers on it before uh-huh. doing that. Oh my god! Like what a beautiful throne really? to sit on. Yeah, it's just like when you sit down, it's like uh, it's kind of like a hammock, uh-huh. right? And it, and I was worried about you know having enough room for you know, the extra skin that we have down there. Yeah, <clears throat> it pinches a little bit sometimes if you don't get the tension right, or sometimes you just have to adjust. That's yeah, what you guys have to do with the move or junk around. Yeah. But, well, are you still using a chamois with that saddle? No. Wow. I, yeah, I used um, um, like just uh, Icebreaker Merino Lycra Blend uh, undies. Hmm. And so it's super thin. So when you sit down, you're sitting on the seat. You're sitting yeah. right on the saddle. That sounds and, uh, really nice. Just the way it moves. And it, it was like the first time I put it on brand new, I sat on it. I feel like I'm doing an ad. Yeah. But I'm just talking about, you know, uh, I read uh, Kurt Refsnyder's kind of article about comfort on a bike or mm-hmm. long distance and you know all your interfaces your feet yeah uh, your hands and uh so i've been working on that like the hands was getting upright so i put the stack on mm-hmm. and i'm super upright <clears throat> mm-hmm. no no numbness i did have a couple palsy moments where my uh my ring finger went you know it kind of goes weird yeah and i had to like bend it out but uh none of that really no no numbness now and then flats, which we talked about. Yeah. Right? Big fan of flats. Big fan of flats. And all also. I have to say, on that route, if I was in cycling shoes, I would be cursing. Yeah. Because there's so much walking. Yeah. And cycling shoes never seem to stay on your feet, on your heels. You know, they're so mm-hmm. stiff. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so, yeah, like uh, Merrill's and Chromex Scarab flats, they're a really big platform. They're mm-hmm. just this mass, which kind of sucks for hiking, actually. Cause yeah, yeah. Like, I got scratches in the back of my yeah. legs, right? Yeah. And then, so hands, feet, and ass. And then it was like, right. dips of chamois, leather saddle. Uh, I didn't, I, sh- I needed to take better care of my bum this time. I, mm. I, I don't have sores, but it could definitely, I couldn't have sustained the, mm. that, you know, I needed to. But, but yeah, just, just to sit down and be like, ah. Oh, that's awesome. So you're creating this tool, right, for yourself going back to like the right and how you have this relationship with it. You know, kind of where everything is, even though you're moving it around all the time. Right, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the flats. And it, anyone who's gonna do the, the lost elephant anyway is like, man, yeah, I could try to just go out for a ride with flats. Just, just try it. Like, um, I did that little shakedown ride I was telling you about. I just did a little 120k spin out to Nipka. Mm-hmm. Spent the night, spun back with flats, and 
there's a big climb coming out, like out of radium up to Olive Lake. Mm-hmm. It's just a sustained climb. And I, I didn't, and I'm a clip guy. Like I've, I use Craig Brothers pedal and I'm always Same. clipped in, right? Same. But f- there's no mechanical advantage. I don't feel like there's a mechanical advantage. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. At the efforts. Like, it's not like we're you know, climbing True. these hills, like, given her. That would be different. True. Right? You're just basically, it's like a paddle boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just kind of, like, pedaling along. And, yeah. and I don't find when I get into a spin... Um, it feels smooth to me. Like you yeah. just kind of adapt a little bit. You you rake your foot a little bit differently at the top and the bottom of the stroke to kind of get it going. But then when you get off your bike, you're like, damn, am I happy that yeah. I'm not hiking shoes on? And when you get on your bike, too. Yeah, there's no dicking around. No, right? you just get on. Yeah. You know, you, you get on, you pedal on, pedal away. And the other thing, I, I I'm such a procrastinator. So I was like, I need a new ring. Like I got a new cassette and a chain. I don't know what I was thinking. I knew it was gonna be angry. Right, so I put it on. It's like barking at me. I was like, oh yeah, I gotta get a ring. So I went down the shop, and I usually just ride twenty eights. And uh, he goes, oh, I've got a twenty six. I'm like, oh man, it's a bit low. Feels like it's gonna be a bit low. It was perfect, mm. <laughs> man. I'm so glad I put a twenty six on because I probably I would have walked twenty percent more. I bet mm-hmm. because there's stuff that you know I could climb in a twenty six forty. That twenty eight forty eight. There's no way. Mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be climbing that so that was the other thing I thought like it's, it's a very very mountainous route so I'm setting up your tool correctly mm-hmm. the right yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's cool man so um, what else can we talk about well let's see here so you talked about your racing career yeah yeah my career <laughs> as a racer <laughs> uh, um did you follow Tour Divide this year? I did follow pretty closely as there were four people from my hometown that were in it. Um, Who are they? Janie Hayes. Oh, right. Her husband, Jimmy. Um, Eric Morton is going for the Triple Crown this year. Um, oh, and so, and then um, the fourth is Brandy Blade. Nice. Are they still on course? Nope. They all, or. Everyone kind of did their thing. Yeah, um, yeah. They all finished except for Janie, who you've been reading her excellent writing about her experience. Yeah. So look forward to more installments of that. Yeah, um, I like to hear a take on that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Do you um, do you have any feelings on kind of the politics surrounding the tour divide? You want to talk about? Or should, or should we even go there? I don't know. I, you know, I it's question it's even going there. I, it's not. Um, I did catch up a little bit on the Facebook chatter this afternoon and everything, and things certainly have blown up. You yeah. Know? And yeah. Yeah. I think it's important that conversations be had. Um, but oh man, and, and let's just let's just ride yeah, our bikes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I I, uh, I I disconnect a lot from from that kind of stuff. I, yeah. I, can, I can feel it happening. I can feel it, like people just just trolls, right? Just yeah, poking at the conversation. Like yeah. the one thing I'll talk about because uh-huh. it'll, prob- yeah. it'll probably come up is um and again uh so last year rode the epic. I rode a hundred k, and they uh, to to Princeton, and then you're on your way to Penticton, and there's a climb. It's like I don't know like 50k long like just um real grade uh-huh and i took my helmet off and i never put my helmet back on again 
Uh-huh. And so, so the the thing with Sofiane touched touched on me a little bit. Yes. Um, I didn't really press him on. I press. I, it's your choice, right? If if you want to wear one or not. But I didn't wear it. I didn't wear it on on this race either. Uh huh. And uh, I thought about it. I thought about wearing it. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad I didn't. Uh huh. And I think. If, if someone were to confront me about that, like, oh, well, you should wear a helmet. Okay, well, let's let's evaluate the risk. Okay, like if I'm on my single speed and I'm ripping through the forest, trail riding, I'm not like a jumper guy or anything like that. But, yeah. You know, I ride pretty aggressively when I when I get out there in single track, and it's like I wear a helmet. Yeah. Right. The the the, the level of risk is yeah. a lot higher ripping through the trees like that. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, there was a bit of that coming down like paradise and stuff mm-hmm. but you know when I think about I think about my riding skill I do think about anything can happen anything can happen mm-hmm. yeah the front tire could just like lose all its air right and yeah. you could just lose control and crash like, I, I get that yeah but I'm a mechanic I maintain my equipment right um, like like I don't yeah so I've, I've assumed a certain level of risk uh, over comfort and I've prioritized comfort. Yeah. And I really found that just wearing a hat, um, it just, yeah, like I think Sofiane even commented, I get better better shade from the sun, um, you know, a place you can purge stuff. Yeah. Like you can put a headlamp up there, you could put a, your sunglasses yes. up there or whatever. Yes. So I, I did hear a little bit about that uh-huh. from the Epic when uh, at the summit last year. It's uh-huh. like, you don't wear a helmet. When I went on the overnighter, it's like, you're not wearing a helmet. And it's like, no, I'm not gonna wear a helmet. <laughs> you know, it's I'm an adult and I'm gonna make a choice. And yeah. I guess it is kind of illegal, right? In Canada. In I Canada, think, it is yeah, correct. Yeah, you're supposed to wear a helmet. Yeah. But it's anyway. It's yes. all, all a, assumption of risk. Yeah. And I I think I know that. It sounds all vain, but it's like I'm I have I have good riding skill. It's like I walked way more stuff coming down than I ever would have if I had a, a mountain bike. Yeah. Obviously, you're loaded. Yes. But I've come to the top of stuff and be like, I'm not riding this tank. That Absolutely. That. I mean, I I certainly try and be respectful respectful of the fact that I'm out there alone and try and ride a bit more conservatively, totally. whether I'm wearing a helmet or not. Yeah. Um, just, it, you know, there's a lot that can go wrong yeah. out there. Um, I've also done some pretty big tours off-road without a helmet. Um and you know it's a personal choice um i i i do have a helmet with me on this tour um boy the times i've gone without i i have to say though it's been fantastic (laughs) i don't particularly like having a thing strapped around my head for 18 hours a day you know um i guess it's so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't yeah. I don't want to create contention. But, no, but it was one of the things I thought about because it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna go out I'm gonna take pictures people are gonna see me without a helmet right and uh, I just want yeah people should just honor people's choices right, right? Like, and so, also Alexandra in the tour this year right right um, yeah and I'm sure many many others you know well it you know it's kind of funny it, it has a little bit to do with the times that like you know nowadays people are like oh my god that person doesn't have a helmet on and you know like if a a child didn't have a helmet you know the police are going to get called or something but it was not very long ago at all like when i was a kid 
there honestly it was no such thing as a bicycle helmet. No, I don't remember. No. The and first helmet I had is my dad said we're gonna we're gonna ride our road bikes to grandma's house and we went to the shop, we bought these helmets. Yeah. They were like the ugliest things I've oh, ever seen. Oh, they were horrible. And they were like hard plastic. They yeah. actually had a fold down like visor like it, yeah. And then, yeah. I remember definitely like my first few rides early season like you get a sore neck, you got to work your neck <laughs> muscles so up. Heavy. Yeah, man. I mean, that thing is heavy. But you know, so it wasn't that long ago. Nobody wore a helmet ever, and you watch all the the um, Tour de France footage from not very yeah. long ago at all. Yeah. These guys are going full on with no helmets, and you know, luckily not a lot happens. And it's assumption of risk, like you is. do, and it's just like anything. Me going on that route, or you, us doing this route by ourselves mm -hmm. alone mm -hmm. with in fairly remote areas that's, that's rather risk. risky <laughs> that's that there's a lot of risk to that and there's i would say like risk. what you said about you know not taking chances like there'd be like, even a ditch crossing if, oh, if, at absolutely. night like in the middle of the night i don't know if you did a lot of night riding but it's like, no it's two in the morning and you've you there's know, too much light to do night riding here <laughs> Too much night? There's too much light. I mean, it's still light. You, oh, yeah. You haven't even awesome, turned right? on your lights <laughs> yet after 10 o'clock p.m. We're really close to the time change line uh, uh, that's over towards Revelstoke. Uh -huh. We're pretty close to it. So, uh, yeah, we enjoy like a good almost an hour. So, yeah, like solstice is, you know, 10 30, 11, maybe even a bit later. Yeah. But, yeah, you're it's, right. It's really great. And, uh, anyway <laughs> yeah so i just want to touch a little bit on the helmet thing yeah you, you know you do assume risk everything we do we assume, we cross the street we're assuming a risk absolutely you know, i was thinking about you know gymnasts like oh let's put helmets on gymnasts then yeah like, well, that's just ridiculous yeah well, why they're flipping upside down yeah two well, or three times i always <laughs> thought like if, if we're gonna go down that road no pun intended we should be wearing the helmet in the car yeah i mean of, of all the very dangerous things we do um that would yeah. be a really good place for head protection, I would think. Yeah, it's the worst. So, so um, something I, I I just thought of something about when I was out there. Mm -hmm. So it, you said the, the, how it's light so late, right? Yeah. What I love about riding into the night is just letting the darkness consume you. Yes. Like just letting it. Like don't put your lights on. Just keep walking, and your your eyes will adjust. Yeah. And uh, like it it gets pretty dark, but there's something about. I think it's a good spend some time in the woods yeah. in the dark. Yeah, definitely. You know, and not a lot because it does get creepy after a while. <laughs> but but just to let let the darkness kind of just consume the moment. Yeah. And then suddenly it's just you're just alone, and then you're right. just in the woods, and there's you hear the birds. Like it's beautiful. There's birds. It is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's not like it doesn't go dead quiet or anything like that. No. But you see you see no. cool critters and and yeah, I, I like that part. Yeah, so that was a bit of a tangent. Now, are you more of a are you a morning person or a night person? Would you say? I could sleep during the day, like on a trip like that. Mm -hmm. I could. I don't know if I'd push brewer at night. That would be weird. That mm -hmm. would be a really weird experience going mm -hmm. out there at night because it takes you'd be in in the woods, right? Like perched on this mountain, pushing mm -hmm. pushing your bike uphill for hours in mm -hmm. the dark. That'd be weird. There's too much good stuff to see. Yeah, but it's more like a yeah. I can. You know, just sleep a couple hours and get up and go. Uh -huh. Like I don't, um, like I don't, I, go, I don't have a stove, right? I don't time for that. Mm -hmm. And I don't bring any coffee, with mm -hmm. me. but I do. I did bring uh, the the caffeinated noon tabs, which mm -hmm. were 
I'd schedule out like have some yeah. for breakfast, like orange juice or whatever, and yeah. just gives you a bit of a caffeine yeah. um, buzz. And then at night, I would I would hit it when I'd want to go kind of to two or three in the morning. Uh-huh. I might go through, you know, hours of riding, go through maybe two bottles of of like I double tab them, so one two tabs per per bottle. So uh-huh. busy, just yummy. Nice. And again, crappy grandpa, I just like. I just need it if I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I bring salts as well, like uh-huh. just a bag of uh, kosher salt. Uh-huh. So if I get, yeah, I feel the cr- cramps coming on. Actually, I had a full-on double leg abductor cramp with the inside of your legs. Oh wow! And I was standing there in the dark. It was like, and I don't want to sound. You know that whole concept about sounding hurt or injured in the woods, mm. right? So I don't want to be like, because ah, that's what I wanted to do. So it hurt. <laughs> Right, and it just hurt, and I was kind of like biting my lip. And I got my little bag of salt out, and I put it on, uh, under my tongue, uh-huh. and, I, and it it salty as hell, right? It's super burny, uh-huh. but five minutes, man, like cramps go away. You wow. just you can just feel them like okay, thanks for the sodium. Uh-huh. Like you never know if it's like what what what's lacking that your body needs. So right. it's like more electrolytes. No, it's not helping. Ah, salt. Yeah, you know, I just yeah, and I yeah, and maple syrup because there's lots of potassium in it. Mm. So I'll take. A little swig of that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Canadian, man. Could drink that. <laughs> drink 26 from a maple syrup. Yeah. I'm taking notes here for sure. Oh my God, that's how they do it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I because our winters are, um, yeah, we're lucky here too because we have a, a, a lot more daylight in the winter as well. Like it won't get dark here until 5.30 maybe. Because of your location in the time zone, is that what you mean? Well, I just think that's just a, a natural byproduct oh. of, of our position in relation to that time change. Mm-hmm. Right? But yeah, yeah. But so that that hour carries through, mm-hmm. you know, through the seasons. So we, we do get our, our uh, lots of daylight mm-hmm. during the winter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I ride at night all the time, like constantly, especially you know in, in the winter, definitely. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Working and looking after kids, and then. Mm-hmm. And go for a night rip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your uh, how's you tell us about your setup on there? It's got like what kind of dynamo are you running? What kind of what? what dynamo were you running? That's a Sun Dynamo, um, and then the the big new thing for me on this bike, or the big different thing, is I've got the roll off hub. Yeah, how's that? Here. It's been very interesting. Oh yeah. I just got it this winter. I've always been a geared rider, never a single speeder. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. it. It has, you know, it has pluses and minuses. Yeah. The shifting is very different than a traditional derailleur. Um, it requires really a different technique oh, altogether. It? Yeah. It really, the best way to shift it is while you're not pedaling at all. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so kind of exactly the opposite. So if you're like, going down through some little wash and gonna have to climb right up out the other side you'll shift while you're going down the hill or through the wash or something so it's more like a like a regular transmission where you must have some sort of internal clutch well it it basically so it it just can't be shifted if it's under heavy load oh it doesn't like that it doesn't like Uh that you can't hurt it but if you have a bunch of force on the pedal, you simply won't be able to move the shifter. <coughs> oh, I see. It's not, it's, so it's not going to chunk. It's just going to exactly. Like, no, it just no, it's just not going to happen. 
Um, so the, I think the technique is like right when your pedal stroke is at 6 and 12, there's a moment, um, even when you're jamming, even when you're standing, where there's almost no real power in the stroke. Yeah. And if you can just bam right then, then you can shift at any time. But yeah, it's a very, very different technique. And there's some pretty cool things about it. Honestly, like it's really silly, but the fact that I can shift it without pedaling or without even being on the bicycle, I actually use that all the time. Yeah. You know, maybe I've just taken a break and I'm needing to climb up out of a little spot. I, was I, I always forget to gear down. Exactly. Like I'll yeah, stop yeah. in my biggest gear and it's like, ah. Oh. Um, <laughs> and then I'm really appreciating for touring just the clean drivetrain, mm. the no derailleur, and um, the chain line is so straight. I've never having never been a single speeder i've never gotten to experience how sweet that how just, quiet it is and how quiet yeah. it even is even though it's a chain it's not a belt exactly the yeah. derailleur makes a lot more noise than yeah. a lot of people <laughs> realize <laughs> yeah and then the slapping of the chain as yeah. you know the spring tries to take up that slack so it's so much more quiet um Stram doesn't do that i'm a big Stram fan oh uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. there's no slap it's, it's super quiet. Uh-huh. I, I don't think I've ever dropped a chain in the Chunder with, with a SRAM drivetrain. Yeah. 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 And and my, you know, but, but, yeah. Do you find it, did that add a lot of weight? Like, it does. Heavy, eh? It's really heavy. Yeah. It's embarrassingly heavy. This is a heavy bike, too. By the time yeah. I get that roll off on and the sun hub and this heavy steel frame and you know, whatever. Uh, weight's kind of like, uh, you know, especially if you're touring, you just want something burly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And honestly, I love the way it rides. Yeah. And I've loved it on this course. I've loved the 29 plus platform for me. Yeah. Um, and it's been fantastic. It really, I think the weight maybe only really comes into play when you're having to lift your bike quite a bit. Yeah. You know, like for instance... <coughs> Lifting it over a downed tree or through a rock, through a bushwhack, then I notice the heaviness of it. But otherwise, as long as you don't have to lift it off the ground, right? Just leave it on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Just ride it, push it, do what you got to do. But it's kind of it's a very experimental bike for me, trying some new things, and it's been a super fun experiment. And it's kind of an exciting because. This bike I built up um, specifically for touring. And so when I'm at home, my bags never come off this bike. Right. And so I've been doing more and more one-night tours, two-night tours, because my stuff is so ready to go. Yeah. Even though, you know, bags aren't complicated, it still takes a little while to rig up your kit. And it it seems to take longer than it should for some reason. Um, But yeah, to have this just out sitting, waiting for me, throw my stuff on it, leave after work. From Salida, there's, it's kind of like here. You can just ride to beautiful places in all directions and camp and, um, so I'm trying to do a lot more of those mini tours. That, that seems to be like a big, uh, no, I don't want to call it a trend, but a lot of people are doing that. Yeah. Like just, hey, let's get out for the night you know, yeah. and, and get home to make breakfast. 
you know I, yeah. I need to do more of that I, yeah, yeah it doesn't have around. to be a huge thing you know we don't have to exhaust ourselves every yeah. time <laughs> yeah you like, know that's fun keep it within like 10 or 20 miles kind of thing mm-hmm. like short like that um shorter i've done a little of everything you yeah. know just um really i feel like from salida we start getting into some pretty good camping within about 10 miles and so that's all you're looking for you can call it good yeah that's awesome (laughs) yeah so where are you headed now where are you going now well so what i intend to do is i want to finish most of the jumbo loop i'm going to follow the jumbo loop to bull river and then i'm going to leave the loop and I'm going to go up Bull River and tee in to the Tour Divide route, ride into Fernie, and then take Tour Divide route back to Eureka, Montana. That's where my car is. Um, and then that'll wrap up my my vacation. How long have you been out? I've been out now. I'm, I'm getting close to four weeks. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. Um, there's one more thing, one more bike pack I'd like to go on before I go back in Idaho. Um, it's kind of de- going to depend on how much time I spend, how long this takes me and stuff. Right. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to kind of just finishing this, going over to Fernie. I've been there once before, and that's just a fun, yeah, fun mountain town. town. Yeah. And then the fact is for me that great divide mountain bike route between fernie and the border i could ride that again and again and oh, again because yeah? that it's just gorgeous nice. you know it's just so so beautiful in there and uh um I, yeah i just fell in love the first time i rode through there during the tour divide and then i went back with my girlfriend chanda on the same ride that we did the bc epic in because i'm like i gotta take her show her this stuff and we're not going to race through. So I think, yeah, you know, yeah. tour divide, like I go through there in like whatever, two days. And I think we took like five days and we stayed at the little cabins nice. and, oh, it's just, it's, this is a beautiful region. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good place to, it's a good place to live. Yeah. Yeah. I've spent a little bit of time in Colorado. Not much though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not much. Yeah. I don't get down the States very much. Uh-huh. Every time I come back from the States, it's always a pain in the ass. Oh, really? I don't know if it's in our border patrol people, but, uh-huh. man, they just, it's like, I'm coming home, man. Like, like the American border patrol guys are like, <laughs> what are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> Have a good trip. <laughs> right? And then you come back into Canada, and it's like, they want to search my van. <laughs> or it's just like, come on, man. I smell, I had experience... <clears throat> My wife and I, this is when we went to Morocco, and then we uh, we got, I, I drove a, I don't know if you know there, it's a Delica, Mitsubishi Delica. It's a right, no. right-hand drive Japanese import oh. minibus, and they're rad, and they're full oh. four-wheel drive, and oh, got wow. tons of clearance. Oh, yeah, man, they're awesome. That sounds very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we went down, we drove to Arizona in it, so we like, drove down. Uh, my wife doesn't bike, but I got a couple of rides in. And then uh, we're coming back. Uh, into the Okanagan and uh, literally we, we we went through this this grass fire smoke or something like that uh-huh. we couldn't see the other side of it it's like holy cow that's crazy so we got to the border and then um, I pull up and I made a bit of a mistake 
no, it wasn't. There's a big mistake. <laughs> I asked where the bathroom was. I had to pee like crazy. I had to pee so bad. It was hurting. I was like, where are your bathrooms at? <laughs> so he's going to flush drugs. He's a druggie, right? Like this right. guy, is, he, he's up to something. He's like, just have to pee, man. And anyway, so they, they open the van and it's like we've been driving around in it for a month. So, right? So I've got dirty, sweaty clothes in there and all sorts of crap, right? Yeah. He knocks in the glass and he, I come out and he's like, you uh, you just tell me where the weed is, and uh, we just you know get on with this. But if you don't tell me where it is, I'm gonna send it back through the states, and they're gonna cut your van into pieces until they find it. <laughs> so I, I got all big hands. I was like, Chris said it was hilarious. It was just like, there's no weed in the van. There has been weed in the van, but there's no weed in the van. Like we're coming back into Canada. Like we're, there's nothing in there, dude. Yeah. They went through everything. They went through everything. And wow. it's, it's just like, man, just, just come on, give me a break. And it's said like every time I come back. So I'm always very, very reluctant to go to the States. Yeah, just yeah, very you reluctant. might not get back in. And I love it down there. Like, <laughs> well, so I, I worked um, <clears throat> many years in my 20s in Whistler, BC. Have mm-hmm. you been to Whistler before? Um, no. So just north of Vancouver mm-hmm. there, right, big ski resort. So I worked there for many years. And uh, so we get a lot of American tourists, but sure. you're, the demographic of American tourists you were getting were, you know, I don't know if we have to say much. You're just getting, <laughs> you know, kind of ir- just arrogant, yeah, kind yeah. of rich, super rich people, right? And I had this, ah, this thing about, ah, oh, man, like, yeah, just so gross. Yeah. And then, sorry, you're American. I'm hey, not, no. Hopefully this isn't a It's okay. But then, so I leave that environment and I go, I think I went to Moab for my first time or down and mm-hmm. oh, they're just they're awesome right it's like I love going down in the states especially getting called honey all the time I love it <laughs> it's like hey Helen you want something else with that it's like mm, I love you you're so <laughs> awesome you're so friendly yeah so it, yeah it, it's definitely not the people why I don't want to go down it's just the hassle it's just yeah the hassle, man. yeah definitely but you guys are pretty fucked up <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so I can understand, like, if you're worried about getting back in, you you do not want to get stuck down there, man. (laughs) You look Irish. You're going to get out of here. Only. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy times, man. Yeah. Yeah, like, that just goes back to the whole social networking thing on the Tour of I. It's just like, um, yeah, it's it's so unnecessary rhetoric. Just, yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. So, yeah. And so, maybe inevitable too, you know? Like, I mean, by creating such a, well, such it's a network just, to allow people um, to... You know, this this is racing after all, and racing kind of always gets this way. There's Oh, like, is it competitive nature? Yeah, right? and, uh, yeah, and just the, the um, you know... Yeah, it's just bikepacking is, is growing hugely right now. Right. And, um, more spectators, more yeah, more, more spectators, color. and also people <clears throat> being sponsored, and there's money involved, and there's you know movies to make and whatnot, and yeah, I guess, but it's like, well, I guess it's a different, you know, the point's valid, it, you know, it hasn't been filmed before. With, yes, with Matthew Lee and you're absolutely Mike right. You know, yeah. so it, it already has kind of been done. Yeah, and, and I remember there was a scene in uh, in Ride the Divide, I think. And uh, 
you know, they're filming Matthew Lee like laying down on his. On I know his exactly. And, and, you know, that scene thing, right? is totally in my mind right? around this issue, of and, course. And you know, um, that scene is so amazing because yes. that almost encompasses like a little bit of what it's all about is just like being out there with nothing. Yeah. Right? But then I think it's like, well, that guy's standing right there. See, yeah, when I watched right it, I was like, there. I'm just shitting my pants, man. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. that many years ago with not, not a whole lot of, like, yeah. backcountry experience. Same. And, like, I wouldn't be eating a bar, getting into bed. Right. Like, I'd, like, huck my food somewhere else, <laughs> far away from where I'm sleeping. Yeah. You yeah. know, but that's what you do, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so it, it's no different. It's no different right. than that, in a way. Right. Right? And it's right. it's, like... Yeah, there's that mental boost I think that you get, but there's still there's still um, a level of athleticism that these people possess that yeah the most just don't have it. There is no <laughs> doubt about that. And you know what? Honestly, what what I know about Lael, which isn't a lot, mm -hmm. is uh, every time I she's smiling all the time. She's man. awesome. She was at the summit, yeah. the Bike Pack Canada summit last year, and it was yeah. so cool to sit beside her. And she's so positive and totally. And I don't think it would matter if Rue was there or not. She would just be pumped anyway. Right. So there's that. There's so many different angles on there it. There are. There yeah. are. And I, you know, I think a lot of a lot of voices in the conversation maybe don't have the perspective um, that that some do that that have been in the bikepack racing scene for a while and kind of understand. And I think the bottom line is it's a conversation that needs to be had, I guess, you know, and, yeah. and it's being had. And like any big conversation, especially that involves social media, there's some trolls out there and some unkind things being said. And, um, it's just that symptom of no, no civil conversation anymore. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't yeah. say anything without someone getting their back up about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, I was, I was on the fence about the whole filming thing, but man, it'd be an awesome film. Exactly. Yeah, I totally like, agree. Like, I had very mixed feelings, and at the same time, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's yeah, it's awesome. And honestly, I, I don't I don't know. I think a lot of the the upper echelon of of the, these athletes that are super mm -hmm. talented endurance racers, mm -hmm. I think they've got their mental game down. They do. You they know? do. And, like this, um, we you know, I think we all have something to learn from them and from each other. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly Leo will be a, you know, a wonderful person to watch this documentary on. Yeah, um, for sure. She's an incredible, incredible rider. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been an exciting season so far, Bikepack World. <laughs> it has been. It's been very, uh, yeah. kind of every, like, scandalous and, like, yeah, right. you know, like, crazy displays of... of athleticism yeah and, and professionalism yeah by some of these guys like Sofiane and josh and definitely uh, and chris like they're just yeah you know what um i i got to speak with uh, evan deutsch mm -hmm. and uh what an awesome guy and he's yeah. just a dude all these all these all these these guys are just they're just super normal they're not like these rigid trained every single day like yeah, they absolutely. Just, they just right. love riding their bike. Yeah, like being on it for a long yeah. time. And, and they're all people who have had a significant amount of time to self-reflect as well. Yeah, and so um, all have a, a voice that's super interesting to be heard for sure. Yeah. So, so we get have a summit with all the the like 
high-end athletes yeah to talk about this stuff yeah definitely <laughs> definitely yeah excuse me um yeah I don't know man like yeah good conversation yeah it definitely has been yeah um you excited about getting home um yeah you know I I, I miss my girlfriend a lot um she, you know, I, I like to do and I like to go off and do solo things. We do a lot of really fun stuff together, but I really, I, I think it's super important to get out for some solo time every once in a while. Um, and even as important as that is to me, you know, yeah, I miss stuff back home. And, yeah. and also, like, as much as I love bikepacking, like, it's, it's so hard sometimes, yeah. just day-to-day life, just trying to take care of yourself, keep your stuff dry, figure out food, figure out how long it's going to take you to get there. And, and then, you know, frankly, like, um, being up here in grizzly bear territory adds a whole new element to it. And it's one that I've done other rides where I've spent a lot of time in grizzly bear country and it, it's just different. It has a different feel. Um, I love being here. Is it a mystery? Because you know they're out there. And... Just, yeah, like, I feel like, you know, I'm always just kind of a little more on alert. Right. And not able to relax quite as much, you know. Um, and, yeah, there's just some something, some feeling about that, you know, that that I'm always... Well, like, for instance, I was just riding down on the new Wild West route, and I went about 500 miles down that route. And when you get to a certain point along there, you pretty much leave the grizzly bear habitat. And I just felt this sense of (laughs) relief, you know, just like I sleep a little bit better. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, just to go home and, yeah, have the ease of, of life. I've thought a lot on this trip about just as humans, how much we just crave comfort, you know, and whether it's, you know, comfort at home or just comfort out on the trail. And we were talking about the comfort of seeing another biker's tracks on the trail. Yeah. And I mean, just a little thing like that gives comfort and that we would crave it so badly we could find it in a tire track (laughs) <laughs> uh, like wow we really do want this pretty bad you know yeah. so Aaron, Aaron was like touring it ahead of me and in a couple of the sections where there was hike bikes I saw your path <laughs> and it was like I could see the way you parted the grass or the way the daisies man yeah the daisies, the daisies the like, daisies yeah yeah um, and just to see that uh, another human had been there. Yeah. Or the bushwhack. I could see your, I could yeah. track you kind of through it. I lost, <laughs> lost the track a couple times, but then I'd kind of pick up on it again and you could see just kind of where you, you wedged your way through the woods. Yeah. It added some really interesting comfort knowing that. Yeah. Like, because it feels like you're, you're the only person in the world and you're, it you're does. surrounded by bears and I didn't like being in that bushwhack, man. That's kind of no, scary. No, I, I didn't I, like that at all. Really, I don't. I guess a bear could plow through there. You know, there were. It was full of berries. It was it? full of berries. <laughs> there are oh, pit high berries. Man. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's like you know some of the spooky kind of more spookier moments. Can you imagine going through there at night? No. No. No, that might be a little beyond my edge. Yeah, you know? I'm pretty comfortable in the night in the woods, <laughs> but. Because your, your headlamp would just be 
everything would be in front of you, just yeah. leaves. You wouldn't be able to see any, there'd be no perspective. No, no, I think that would be beyond my edge there. <laughs> going back to something a bit more positive, a lot more positive. You, cl- you climb up these mountains, right? And what's so fun about the climb is you're on this, you know, this big, wide, well-developed road. And then suddenly it, it, there's a little branch. Yeah. And then you're on this, this narrow little, maybe one truck could get up it, say, or one and a half trucks. And then, Boop, now it's a double track. You yeah. take another turn. And then, you go and then it's and then, daisies. And then, and, then, and then, yeah, you come out into this thing, and it's like um, just flowers. Now. Yeah. You're just riding through a garden. Yeah. And there's this one time, I think it was on the other, on the east side of the route. Um, so there's daisies everywhere, man. But but I came to the top of this hill, and there's a couple paths. And the one that I was I was to take had this had this, like, garland of daisies going into it right so it was like these two rows of uh, daisies kind of like ta-da yeah here you are so nice thank you <laughs> yeah it's it's um it's those little those little things i think that you know you suffer and and uh and i didn't have to i didn't really have many low low points mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. but uh i said it on the my Facebook thing, it's like, you know, Leonard once said, he gave some advice in one of his things. He's like, there's, there's, it's all, it's not low for long. You know, it's going to suck for a bit. This is yeah. going to suck right now. But you know what? On the other side of that suck, it's yeah. usually like a complete 180 of yeah. awesomeness, right? Definitely. Like a view or, mm-hmm. oh, I finally get to eat or, yeah. oh my God, look at that clear stream. I can just drink right out of it. Yeah. You know, like that. Like when I commented on your thing, yeah. like, that's some delicious water, man. Like that is so sweet up there. The, the, the water up. Well, we're we're lucky. Well, I mean, water is very plentiful. Yes. Around here, well, especially this year, but especially on that route, man. It's like mm-hmm. you know, I I I only filtered maybe half my water. Mm. As soon as I got high in the Alpine, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna filter. Mm. And uh, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll pay. <laughs> maybe I'll pay. <laughs> I uh, I got Giardia a number of years ago, and I am so paranoid oh, now, yeah. which is sad yeah. because, um, but yeah, that I I think you're probably fine drinking all that stuff, but boy, did that set me back. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Was that like both ends, kind of like? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Not too specific. But <laughs> it was, but I think what was oh, difficult oh. is it took me a while to figure out what was going on. Uh-huh. Like at first, I thought I was just sick. And, you know, then, like, it keeps going, and my digestion is just completely whacked out. And I was on vacation, and so, you know, pretty soon we realized vacation's over, we better go home, and then the weekend is there, and then finally I go to the doctor, and they're like, oh, I wonder if you have something. By the time I get diagnosed with Giardia, I'd had it for some time. I lost... um, in a period of six days, I lost 12 pounds. What? Yeah, yeah. you're not very thick. Yeah, guy. I'm super Holy skinny. Cow, for, I mean, I, yeah, and so it's it was. Skeleton. It was just horrible, you know, and it um, it just took a piece out of me, and it took me the summer to like get my strength back. I can see <laughs> after that. that. Yeah, biologically, you're probably just so shut down. Like oh, your body was it, just yeah, so it was just horrible. And so what the doctor was telling me is 
during that time, you know, you basically got these organisms living in your body. So it wasn't like I didn't have an appetite. I was eating a lot of food. I was hungry, <laughs> but, but they, they take all the nutrients. Oh and so you get nothing. And that's so like so my body's crazy. just wasting away. Wow, it's crazy how it uh, took so long to yeah, diagnose that. Yeah, it was just kind of the circumstances of the situation. Yeah, but that's a whole nother deal. The Back to the water that was up there. I, you know, we have beautiful, clear running streams in Colorado, sure. but up here and also Idaho and Montana, wow, I mean, the water is just beyond beautiful. Yeah. It just calls to you. And then I love it too as I get up more like north here and start to see the effects of like glacial runoff and you get the changing colors and right the salt I, and yeah and i'm yeah. like oh now i'm really getting somewhere you know <coughs> yeah i feel what do you use for uh filtration or treatment i um right now i'm just using chemical treatment okay i've got drops and i've got pills do you just do bleach no um i don't trust bleach oh, no? completely um I think it it's not completely stable all the time, and I think you have to get the right kind of bleach. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a. I think too that it it. I don't know a lot about this, but I feel like that there's certain things that like bleach can bind up with, oh, and I then see. the bleach isn't available for the disinfecting. Right. And so these you know products that are on the market. The I can't remember exactly what it's a bleach type right. stuff, but it's. It won't have that happen. Having a, a hot tub for a while, I, I miss it. I could use it right now. Yeah, right. But the, yeah, there's um, there's uh, there's uh, it's uh, called free. So uh -huh. when you when you measure your chlorine or your your bromine level, that's the amount of free bromine. So I think the the the, the basically the more soil the water is the more bleach you have to add. And of course, you don't really know. You can look at a clear glass of stream water right. and it could be full of microbes. Right. So you need to, if you add two drops of bleach, but then, then that binds to those microbes to kill them. Mm -hmm. But eventually the bleach, quote unquote, runs out. Right. And oh, I should have put four drops, not two. Right. So yeah, that's a good point actually yeah. about that. It, it all, that whole line of thinking stemmed from a long time ago. I experimented with brewing beer yeah. and I had a bunch of beer go bad, which I finally traced back. I was sterilizing my bottles with bleach, but I had a bunch of iron in my water um, and the bleach was uh, binding to the iron. So I'm going through this whole process that looks like sterilization, right. but it's not. And then the beer is going bad and right. Know, Oh, that's so, interesting. So you use chemicals? I use chemicals. I use filters sometimes. Um, you know, I kind of, you know, tomorrow I'll leave with a couple full liters. and It lasts quite a long time, really. really? At, at the pace yeah. you ride, it's not yeah. chugging. And then I always grab some when I can. In the When I was riding the Wild West route, Kurt had put together such useful waypoints oh, for the whole thing, and he's going to have that app. So all these campgrounds that you're going by, he had listed out which ones of those had water taps. Right. And so I could That's really awesome. plan, and I barely treated any water down there for hundreds of miles just going tap to tap. It yeah. was pretty nice, really. Yeah, I found that on this this route as well. I, I felt it about half. Yeah. My water. I got a little bit of water from campsites. <coughs> um, I use a Sawyer, though. Uh -huh. I really, really, really like the Sawyer. The thing I don't like about the Sawyer, the Sawyer is that it clogs up. 
Well, I started this trip with an old Sawyer that I discarded during the trip because oh. I just couldn't bring it back to life. Oh, you, were you back flushing it? Yeah, back flushing it, it and soaking it and stuff. And finally, I'm like, I'm just getting rid of it. Well, this they do thing. wear out. They do. Yeah, I think they it's do. like 40,000 gallons of water. And I mean, that's going to. It's got to depend on the quality of water. For sure. I mean, you want to take from the cleanest source you can find, right? Yeah. I was out of the Kootenai River before I crossed on day one there. And, and I was out of water. I looked at the river. And I'm like, oh, it's pretty silty, right? But I did bring the syringe. A lot of people like, the syringe is a pain in the ass for back flushing. It's like, yeah, it is, but yeah. water is one of the three key things you need to have, right? right. So I can bring it. Right. Yeah. And I would just squirt some fresh water from a bottle into it, and then did yeah. it. Just give it a whoop, just to back flush it. But that thing clogged instantly, and it wasn't super silty. Like if mm-hmm. you looked at it, it was like mildly cloudy. Yeah. And it clogged that thing up. Yeah. Right away. Yeah. So that was that sucked. Yeah. Because yeah. then you're, you're you know it's you want to go like I want to filter my water and and go it, right right and I use like the smart water bottle I just strap it to my tube because you can just screw the filter right onto it so you just fill out the stream and screw it and yeah. drink out of it and uh-huh. filter with it I like my water system do you I noticed you were using that smart water bottle and I was wondering do you use some special cage to hold that or do you just <laughs> shove it in whatever cage <coughs> I have just a regular uh, just a regular, regular cage. cage that bike has no bolts on it and then so I use uh, two um, uh, pipe clamps to hold it onto the frame uh-huh. and I put it on and I've got this really kick-ass Velcro strap and so I just kind of loop around it mm-hmm. and kind of hold it up and it man for the chunk that I've been riding over and if pushing my bike through this, this shit yeah. yeah I haven't lost and then I use those uh, the SRS the um, oh yeah the ones that go onto your forks yeah and um, they'll twist they'll they'll move but you just have to pay attention in the wet they start to get kind of slippery uh-huh. so I was thinking maybe doing hockey tape because uh-huh. I'll give it a texture, like do some hockey tape right. and bolt them on. They won't move, man. That's a I, good idea. I like that setup. Yeah. Yeah, having. I, I was I was thinking about using a bladder. Yeah. I'm putting the bladder in, and then I put the filter on in line, and then it's like hmm, it's too complicated. I, I I'm agree. a simple guy. <coughs> so like, yeah. I used to use bladders all the time, and I guess I'm just kind of tired of all the hoses. And yeah, it takes up a lot of room. Well, and also like. Personally, since I use chemical treatment quite a bit, yeah. to have one liter bottles on board is just ideal for right. the different pills. And I like those bottles that you have. Actually. Yeah, they're Need really bigger. they're great. The only thing is, it, um, that's a liter. That's a liter. It's awesome. Now that thing is probably twice as heavy as that smart water bottle, though. Oh, the bottle? Yes. Yeah, it's a pretty. If you want bottle. to be a white weenie, yeah, you know, those are super light and rugged. They're light and they'll they'll they hold up to the constant like crushing. They do, yeah. And, uh, they last forever. I think I learned that from Darwin on the Trail. Do you know that guy on YouTube? I do actually. The guy? I, I I totally picked it up from the through hikers I've met up yeah. because they all use that particular yeah disposable reusable bottle. <laughs> yeah, and it's great. I will use that thing. Same. I, I've never cracked one. Same with me. Like, yeah, I, they great. just seem to hold up. Yeah. And then when they get really covered in, in uh, cow shit, <laughs> yeah. it's like, ah, I'll get rid of that one. Yeah. I didn't condom my bottle this time. Usually I put a 
freezer bag again uh, or some sort of ziploc condom over the top yeah. and then elastic just to keep the the crud out of that a little bit uh, just because it'll transfer right like, yeah i know it's going to transfer i know somehow it always does you know yeah poo's everywhere yeah do you yeah. see that mythbusters thing about poo? no <laughs> No, but it's sometimes I think you can probably relate being a bike packer. You do feel like the world is covered in couches. <laughs> the, the, the second night I slept, I kind of like found my spot. It's at night, right? And you uh-huh. can, everything's the same color pretty much. And then uh, I lay down, I got up in the morning, I look around, it's like cow shit all around me. <laughs> I was so tired, I just kind of crashed out. But there's like patties, all just dried out patties all over the place. <laughs> Like good play, probably gonna get some crazy disease. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. Oh so, yeah. So you're looking tired, man. Yeah, yeah. starting to get a little tired. Call it. We better. That's awesome. I think we could both probably talk bike packing all night long. It was fun. Long, it was so a really good. I'm always down for a fun conversation. Bikes, bike packing, adventure. Yeah, your work and stuff's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Thanks the fact for that you get time. out, like man. Oh, my pleasure, man. Yeah. The fact that you get out all the time is, is just, man, it's like, covet that. I covet that. I I really feel fortunate. And, you know, I can honestly say, though, it's something that that it, do, it hasn't happened casually. We were talking about intention earlier. And oh, yeah. I made a very conscious decision that I was going to base my life around these things I wanted to do and everything else must fall in around. And And it must. It must, because that's that's the only way I want it to be. And so, you know, of course, there's the give and take of real life, but um, I think when we focus on what we really want um, and rearrange things around that, that things fall into place, you know? You guys seem uh, you guys would seem like a really interesting couple to talk to. I think because <laughs> no, you're very like grounded and very not spiritual, it's sort of, but you yeah, know, just yeah. connected. I'm not gonna not anyway. But, yeah, yeah. And then she's you know in the Ayurvedic 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 uh-huh. yeah medicine, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's super interesting. I think there's a lot to be said for like yeah, East, it's Eastern, right? Kind of not not Indian, medicine, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's uh that's cool stuff. Man. Yeah, yeah. Well that's I I expect you'll probably meet her because we both love touring up here. Oh yeah. A lot. Oh, and well. I'm always scouting out what route that we will do next together. She as I was telling you, she will not want to do the jumbo. That's not her style of route. That's oh, not a lot of people's <laughs> style, man. <laughs> I was thinking that oh, I was like, man. I did the. Why am I doing this? Oh god! This is hard as fuck. <laughs> For those those listening to this who haven't done the jumbo before, I think we can fairly say, and I've only done half of it, but it's hard. It's a hard loop, and it's, it's a awesome. rewarding loop. It's awesome. There are many rewards to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then discovering that I thought I did it in three days, but then and then Nathan's like, yeah, sixty three hours and fifteen minutes or whatever. And I'm like. No, man, it's not that. I mean, oh, it's not. I thought it was Thursday today. I thought I rolled in Wednesday night. So I did it in like, yeah, like two, yeah. two and a half days. Yeah. And so I'm so pumped. Yeah. Like, 
Well, it seems like... I just feel so successful at pushing. Yeah. I pushed as hard as I think I could other than not sleeping. Well, gathering from my perusal of social media today, it sounds like that you got a lot of people that would kind of like to hear a a breakdown of the whole whole experience. Oh, maybe. You know? I kind of... This is really, really new for me. Uh So I always find, like, when when I talk about stuff like filtering water and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it just just comes from my my very limited experience. I don't yeah. want people to think that I'm like this, you know, hero bike packer. That's you no. in this room, and that's not that's you. That's not yeah. at all. Like I said, like I'm just like a total mid pack, sometimes bike packing racer, and I just love being out. I love being yeah. on the road. But your experience, the, I mean, like you're just yeah. so. Um, I've racked up a lot of experience yeah. and preferences and Racked-up stuff now. And, it's not hard though it's It's not and there is a lot of room for different personal preferences there is no right way to do it or anything and I'm like minimalist I try to like yeah you know like the whole tarp things where like a lot of people like the tent yeah and you know I was a tent guy when I camped too but there's something different to it's different it feels different when you're if it's nice weather and you're just like you just sprawled out on the ground. Yeah. Like with your stuff all around you and and Yeah. And you wake up in the middle of the night and you can see everything and like it's just you hear something and just you can look straight right. into the woods. You can check. Yeah. Like, ah. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no guesswork. But um, yeah, it was really awesome to talk to you. Yeah, thanks. I'm really man. glad that we're able to uh yeah. Same awesome. here, same here. Cool man. Aaron Weinsheimer. Thanks, buddy. Had a great time chatting with Aaron. I hope you guys enjoyed listening in. Um, lots of great podcasts coming down the line. Don't forget, got Matt Rainbow coming up. Uh, and hopefully I'll key up a time with uh, Matt Bain, PhD candidate, uh, sports psychologist, to talk about the psych of endurance sports. And don't forget to whip out your phone, record me a voice memo, and send it my way. Send it to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. And I'll get it on the show. So again, I want to thank Aaron for his time. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And until next time, get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down.